and blue what do you do we got stories to see you through that time of the month that time of the month need a fix come get your kicks we got tales by kooky chicks that time of the month that time of the heard go spread the word they're funny smart and so absurd happens every month it's the neatest storytelling at its sweetest it's the moment you've all been waiting for this is the funny female storytelling show with one token male <laughs> so without further ado um the author of the story baby daddy Let's give it up for Mr. John Levy. <laughs> 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 Honey, are you sure? It was halftime of an intense Monday night football game between the Titans and the Ravens. I was standing on the plaza underneath Jumbotron, simultaneously drinking a beer and trying to comprehend what my wife was telling me. And then the question I asked, which 13 years plus later I regret phrasing specifically in this way, <laughs> baby, have you been drinking? <laughs> my honey baby, Hannah, was actually 33 weeks pregnant and was lying on the floor of La Paz, a Mexican restaurant in Green Hills, waiting on an ambulance. And as you might imagine, she was the only person on that particular phone call who had not been drinking. <laughs> she had met a friend out for dinner, felt like something was very wrong, and on this call, she was telling me that she was going into labor and I needed to get my ass to Baptist Hospital. I did the quick calculus of the terminally selfish and noted to myself that the game was going to be over in about 90 minutes. <laughs> This was our second child, and I told her that I was quite sure it was false labor, that she would be fine. <laughs> Let me say this, we did have a lot of experience with high-risk pregnancy. Hannah had endured a difficult one with our firstborn, and had been confined to bed rest for the last three months. While we needed to be careful, I figured there was no way the baby could be coming this early. There are a lot of women in this room, so you know how this part of the story goes. There's no match for a woman assuming the power of imminent childbirth. I went to the hospital, of course, and sure enough, no baby came. The Titans lost on the last play of the game. We were sent home after midnight, and we prepared ourselves for the plan that she was going to be on bed rest for the remainder of her term this time. So the next morning, Hannah went for a follow-up appointment with the doctor, and I rolled out of bed, no shave, no shower, and threw on a baseball hat to take our two-year-old with me on a bed-buying excursion. We laid down on the mattresses in the store, bouncing up and down. And as we played, my mobile phone fell out of my pocket, a fact I discovered only after I was already home. When I went back to the store, I had the experience that your brain has when it registers 13 missed calls in 20 minutes. And then the phone rang again, and I knew immediately that something was terribly wrong. In this case, the baby had decided to come early. In fact, when her doctor went to examine my wife, her little leg and foot were out of the uterus. They calmly rushed her to surgery and my wife was on the table for an emergency C-section. 
I had a few minutes to get there, it was going to start without me. And my wife, she really needed me. She was begging me to get there and could not answer the question I needed to know myself. It was all going to be okay, right? I dropped Francis, that was our oldest, off with a friend, Fran uh, racing down West End Avenue in the middle lane, completely terrified about what was coming next. The guts of my body barely contained, all my substance liquefied. I got there with minutes to spare, running into the operating room lobby, where they scrubbed me in and walked me into the room. There was a screen across my wife, like one of those magic tricks where they saw the woman in half, which is in fact actually kind of what happens. <laughs> my memory is that they make a massive incision and remove stuff that's in the way, like your organs, and set them on the table. I can't even watch shows like Grey's Anatomy or ER because I'm way too squeamish. So I stayed on the north side of the screen, holding my wife's hand and praying. When it became clear they were getting close, I watched as they lifted this little alien creature out of the viscera with what appeared to be really giant balls. <laughs> he was alive. I had my Henry. But to my shame and embarrassment, I was early on the identification. Apparently there was something where the female genitals swell up during this procedure. It was, in fact, a girl. <laughs> A girl I can attest to this many years later with serious nuts. <laughs> and my baby girl was vigorous. When the doctor held her out, her hands and feet flopped out. They were enormous, like the paws on a German Shepherd puppy. And the rest of her was so small and impossible to be alive, red like a rash, and she was noisy and strong. When they cleaned her up and took her away, Hannah and I held each other and celebrated our good fortune quietly. I held on to my beautiful, strong wife and we cried a little. She had kept our baby safe. I was so relieved, so utterly, utterly relieved. I held on to her what seemed like forever. And then she did that little thing that signifies that the moment is over. I think it's a female thing, that patronizing little double tap. <laughs> She told me that I needed to go to the nursery and make sure that they didn't try to glue one of those tacky little bows on our baby's head. For both children, this was a priority. Excuse me, ma'am, I know that we almost lost our baby if it weren't for your exceptional medical care. But now that it's all cool again, I'm gonna need you to remove that little bow on her head. I know, I know, it's amazing she's alive, and yes, I smell like beer and cigarettes, and I'm the one telling you what's tacky. It does hardly seem like a first priority to worry about this bow, but it really matters to my wife, so thank you ever so much. I went out to the viewing window to the nursery to make sure the bow was removed and watched my newborn. As it happens, Mary Sparks was the only white baby on display. There were half a dozen black babies, all fully formed and beautiful, like the babies in a commercial for baby products. And then there was a baby that looked like an angry alien, my girl. <laughs> She was the smallest baby in recent history of Baptist Hospital to make it without going into neonatal intensive care. She was mesmerizing, a little ferocious animal. After a couple of days, they discharged us, and waiting for us was the ultimate luxury. My mother-in-law had paid for a baby nurse to live with us and help out for six weeks. Connie had been a baby nurse for a lot of families, and I knew why she was in demand. She would call me at work in the afternoon and ask me what I wanted for dinner. She would cook me smothered pork chops and drink beer with me at the kitchen table after Mama and the babies were bathed and the house was cleaned. 
She told great, dirty jokes. She told us lots of surprisingly personal stories about other young couples she had worked for, which was really interesting, until I realized much later that our experience had become fodder for families who came after us. <laughs> As Connie's time with us was drawing to a close, my wife's postpartum depression shone a spotlight on the need for some more adult presence in our home. Hannah had lost her beloved great aunt uh, just before the, the birth and was having trouble producing milk. This was a woman who had anointed herself Rumina, the Roman goddess of breastfeeding, for her prodigious nursing of our firstborn. She took more than a little bit of pride in her ability to feed our daughter with her own body, her glowing, swollen-breasted, rocking body. <laughs> I learned later about a conversation between my wife, who could never be accused of circumspection, and our pediatrician six months or so after our first child was born. Our gentlemanly and sober-mannered doctor asked my wife if she had any questions for him. Yes, said Hannah brightly. So when I nurse my baby and the milk lets down and the baby latches on, I have an orgasm. Is that normal? <laughs> there was a very, very long pause. Picking his way through the response carefully, our doctor said, I've read about this and I know it happens. <laughs> But in 30 years of practicing medicine, I've never had a mom ask me that question. <laughs> my suggestion, hmm, my suggestion is, is that you enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Our firstborn was breastfed for 19 months. Saturday morning, six weeks after Mary Sparks was born, I woke up on the couch after another night out and saw that Connie was leaving. I had miscalculated. I thought she was there at least one more day. I was being abandoned. Connie had told us a great story about leaving another family. She was walking out the door saying her goodbyes and a young girl, maybe three or four, said, hey lady, you forgot something. You forgot to take the baby. <laughs> The day Connie was leaving our house, from my vantage point on the couch, I tried to lighten the mood. Hey lady, you forgot something. What about the baby? My wife, my wife stood there in her bathroom, one child at her feet and the other in her arms, staring at me, too weary to be angry. I got up to give Connie a hug. I honestly thought I was gonna cry. I actually did cry. <laughs> she was a big woman and I sunk into her arms. You really are going? I asked. It's time for you to grow up, Daddy, Connie whispered to me. You better take care of your family. I ain't taking no babies with me. <laughs> now you heard, go spread the word. They're funny, smart, and so absurd. Happens every month. It's the neatest. Storytelling at its sweet